podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Phillips Laven of the 1012 Podcast here. Have you been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I? Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. Welcome to the 1012 podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. I am your host, Philip Slavin, here with you on a Monday, unless you're listening to us on Tuesday or Wednesday or whenever, because that's fine too, I guess. It's whatever. It's coming out on a Monday. I don't care anymore. Um, okay, so let's just be honest. I know I said I didn't want to have a coronavirus COVID-19 episode, and I don't want to have one that focuses on tournaments getting canceled. I did want to have one focused on the financial impact how it's going to affect college athletics moving forward. When it comes to the business of sports, there's one guy I go to, and that is Matt Brown of SB Nation. He is on the show today. This is one of the most interesting and informative episodes I think we've had on the show. I am very excited for it. I think I am very excited for you to hear about it. I got a lot of questions after Matt. This was actually supposed to be an episode with like two different interviews combined into one. to be a nice longer one, something around 45. This interview went long. I am happy with it. I am glad it did. We cover everything from the the impact to sports across the board. Uh, we talk about the Big 12, some of the schools like Oklahoma State and Texas Tech with smaller athletic department or athletic budgets. Um, I've got some questions he doesn't have answers to, and that's okay because it's it's questions that I, I, I want us to find out about, including how does this impact the Big 12 schools and the ESPN Plus deal? You know, there's no baseball or softball, which is part of, of what that – that had to do with um, how could this impact scheduling moving forward. Uh, we're going to talk about spring sports. You know, the Division Two has made a decision as to who gets to have more extra eligibility in baseball and softball and the other spring sports. How how could D one decide? Really good interview. I love this. Always a pleasure having him on. You need to subscribe to his Extra Points newsletter. It is really good. You'll find out how later on. Uh, do us a favor. Give us a follow on Twitter at 1012podcast, T-E, and the number 12 over podcast. Um, I, I had someone last week pitch an idea for a, an interview. Um, we couldn't make it happen, but it is what turned into last week's Best of Iowa State. If you have ideas, if you have something you want to talk about on the show, if you have something that you want us to hear us talk about on this show, I would love to hear it. I would love to hear your ideas. Um, it's a tough time to come up with stuff to talk about right now. 
Uh, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to make it work. But if you have something you want to hear, let me know. We will do our best to make it happen or some version of it to happen. Um, I do have another episode for this week. It's already in the can. Uh, We're going to talk a specific Big 12 running back, a specific Big 12 quarterback, uh, not from the same team with two guests that I really enjoyed. And we're going to have a really interesting conversation about the importance of running backs in college football, the impact, what matters when trying to judge a, a collegiate running back. It's a really, really interesting college football conversation. I'm really glad I got my guests for that. So that is coming later this week. We might have a third episode. We'll see. Uh, we're just kind of throwing everything out there right now and doing whatever we want and whatever we can. So let's get to Matt Brown. Make sure you are following us on Twitter. Make sure you're subscribed to the show so you don't miss an episode. Make sure you leave us a rating and a review, especially on iTunes. I will read those out here on the show. If you have written me a review and I haven't, shoot us a message to the DM. Be like, dude, you said you would, and I will. Okay. You guys are awesome. Enjoy this episode, and uh, I'll talk to you again later this week. We waited as long as I could, but at some point we have to talk about the coronavirus and its impact on sports. And I, I'm less concerned right now with, obviously games have been canceled, seasons have been canceled, tournaments have been canceled, and that's a big deal. But f- I'm so much more interested in the financial impact of what this is going to do for colleges and universities and sports for not just this year, but this impact is going to be something that sticks around for a very long time. Uh, and when it comes to talking about the business of college athletics, there's nobody I want to bring on more than Matt Brown. Um, if if you don't, and if you aren't subscribed to the Extra Points newsletter that he puts out on a regular basis, I don't. You must just not like reading about sports because it's one of my favorite things to have. Uh, so being able to have him, this is a guy who's been on I think every sports podcast there is at this point, which bravo to him. Uh, so for him to make time to come on the ten twelve is really big for us. Matt, welcome back to the show, man. Hey, thanks. That's I'm I'm, I'm happy to be here. I've uh... I, I, it's unfortunate that I guess my expertise or the things I've been writing about for a while are in the news for kind of a darker reason, uh, but I'm, I'm happy to help your listeners here if I can. That's fantastic. So let's just start with, before we get into Big 12 specific, I do think there's a little bit of, of kind of broad scope that we need to discuss. And, and, and we can talk about the impact of having, you know, the NCAA basketball tournament canceled. Um, that's, a, that's a major financial impact for schools. More so your smaller school conferences, your MEAC and your, your Sun Belt and your conferences that tend to get one school in. Then and I think it might be for your Power Five conferences like the Big 12. Um, but before we get to that, the, the bigger thing to me is you're dealing with um, financial impact here, financial impact for, across states. Um, but you're dealing with schools who are already having enrollment issues. I live in a small town in Arkansas. Um, they deal with that on a, right now. They're having enrollment issues. I know that's a nationwide issue for the past few years. You're looking at that's already bad. Um, how is that going to look when and when the semester is able to start back again in the fall, if it's able to start regularly? Are people going to be able to afford not just to go to college? Like, I'm curious from you, how big is the the financial impact on universities from the coronavirus sports aside, just, just in total. Yeah. I, I really don't think we can, we could overstate this that much. And what I've tried to impress on everybody when I'm asked about this is to, you know, frame everything first that uh, American higher education was not really in a great financial place before any of this was happening. And you're right. A big, a major part of that has been 
a struggle for most kinds of universities to secure enrollment. It's, it's, it's we, as a country, we are producing uh, less uh, four year inst institution bound students than we have before. And so enrollment at most schools the last decade has declined. A lot of institutions, especially public schools, have tried to plug that gap by recruiting international students, going after kids in South Korea and China and India and the Middle East and in Europe and all over the world, because those kids pay full tuition. So you can go get a couple of people from, uh, you know, from Asia to come pay $45,000, $50,000 to go to your school, and that subsidizes tuition to make it easier to go bring somebody local um, at a much lower rate. Uh, and that's true for, for private schools too. It's, you know, it's obviously, it's not just Asia, it's South America, it's all, it's all over the world. So for political reasons and for financial reasons and for just sheer competitiveness, it's becoming much harder and more expensive to do that. And now you have this, which I, I think it could just be a, a seismic event across the entire American economy, not just higher ed, but it hurts higher ed specifically. So I, I wrote about this in my, in my uh, latest issue here of, of points. Moody's Investor Services just downgraded all of American higher ed to a negative immediate outlook. And they project that uh, about 30% of, of universities could have some significant cash flow problems. And I'm not talking about cash flow problems where I'm not sure if I want to fire the basketball coach or not, better keep him on another year. That's basically everybody. I'm talking about, we don't know if we're going to keep the English department running. And I think what that's going to mean for some smaller schools, particularly at the NAIA Division Three, Division Two level, which I know is a pretty big deal here in, in Big 12 country where that's a, there's a lot of Division II, a lot of Division Three schools in Oklahoma and in Kansas and, and in the, the central part here of, of the United States. Some of those schools are going to drop football. Some of those schools are going to close up athletic departments. Some of them might close school. Um, we're already seeing this a little bit here. I, I'm based in Chicago. We had uh, two relatively large schools that were, uh, I believe, Division Three merge. This year, it's happened in Ohio. It's happening in New England. I think that's going to continue. And if we don't have sports in the fall, then God forbid, a lot of schools are, are simply not financially built to weather this kind of a shock, and they're going to have to make some difficult decisions. Proving that forward to Power Five schools, um, you know, a, a lot of these schools are kind of a lot of the Big Twelve schools are okay. A lot of a lot of Power Five schools have enough money that they're not going to be bad. And, and and I say that specifically. Like look at look at Texas for an example. Texas, if you look at the USA Today's data, uh, total revenue from 2017-2018 was was uh, 219 million dollars, uh, and their expenses were 206. So in theory, Texas has some money left over. And so you look at that and say, where's come to where's Texas? Maybe they have to fire a. They're not going to fire any coaches, um, an analyst, or or a couple of the staff members uh, that help with recruiting. Like that, you would you would think universities that are bringing in that kind of money aren't going to feel too much of this. Even in Oklahoma, you know, at 175 million, but they're 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 spending 152. They've got some some money kind of put away. University will will probably be okay. You don't going to see a lot of a big impact. But if you get down to the Big 12 schools, like let's look at, you know, obviously we don't have Baylor and TCU because they're private, they don't have to release their information. But you get down to the Texas Tech and the Iowa State and the Oklahoma State and the Kansas State, these are schools bringing in, whose who's athletic department's bringing in 89 million, 88 million, 86 million range. And they're, they're spending most of it to keep everything as is. For schools like that, where obviously they lose the money from the assembly tournament, obviously they lose money from 
And some of these schools maybe make enough in things like softball or baseball to kind of break even, but you're losing the money from those seasons and ticket sales. Um, you're losing the money from inter- NCAA tournament appearances. And, and we could, I know people have made the point of, you know, oh, they don't have the travel costs. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that saves as much as people want to think when you offset the lack of ticket sales. When you look at athletic departments like that, um, how much more in trouble are schools like those? I know even being power five schools, and I know they have big, they, they they bring in a decent amount of money, but how much more in trouble are schools like an Iowa State and Oklahoma State than are a Texas and an Oklahoma, and even a, a Kansas who brings in a good amount of money because of, of, of basketball? I realize this isn't necessarily the most compelling radio answer, but, but the answer to that for a lot of these is really going to be it depends. And a big part of that is it's going to depend on what happens with their local economies. You know, one of the potential risk factors for some Big 12 schools, if you're in a state like Oklahoma or, you know, outside of the league, a state like North Dakota or a state like Nevada, where you have one or two industries that provide a very significant percentage of the state's economy and the state's tax revenue. So oil and gas, perhaps in Oklahoma or gaming, if you're in Nevada, I think it's oil in North Dakota as well. There's, you know, several other states that have really dominant industries. If they face a, a, a downturn, and I think it is probable that we're looking at a nationwide downturn right now, but maybe one that expresses itself more dramatically in other industries and other, than in others, that nukes your state revenue. So one, if you are, a, you know, any of these schools, they're going to be getting state support, state taxpayer money to prop up universities themselves. And if there's less tax money going in and if state legislators have to make difficult decisions and they're probably going to have to spend more money on senior citizens and on healthcare in the near future, I think it, there's a good chance that money that's going to go to higher ed is going to decline. That, that's been this, the national trend for a couple of years anyway. There's all, that, that also is going to play out in your donor class. You know, this is something that happens with, with Texas A&M. I'm sure it's not probably super different for some of the Oklahoma schools. But a lot of the people that cut checks to your school on a regular basis are involved in oil and gas. And crude oil is under $45 a barrel. They probably aren't going to give as much money or at the same rate as they did if oil was $90 a barrel. It's the same thing in Nevada. If, if casinos are closing or casinos are going bankrupt, they're not cutting checks to UNLV and Reno at, at the same rate. So those are the kind of indirect areas where I think you have a much bigger risk exposure for some of these athletic departments in that $80 million range than you do if you just look at the line items and look at um, what, you know, what you lose for not having spring sports or not having the NCAA tournament. Like, I, honestly, if you're tech, if you're some of these other smaller schools, you literally are probably saving money by canceling spring sports. Um, some of these schools do sell a, a fair amount of softball tickets, but you know, it's interesting. I'm actually working on another story right now. I just foiled Texas Tech's all budget. And like that's a, a good softball program. They're not selling nearly enough tickets to offset the, the costs for travel. So, but so, yeah, I can understand what an athletic director would say, you know, very short term, limited line item budget not that big of a deal. But when you look at this holistically with what's going on with the rest of the country, I think it's a very, very big deal. And I think in the next month, as that picture becomes more clear, you're going to hear more university officials say the same thing. So I want to get back to spring sports here in a second, but you mentioned people obviously are going to be cutting back what they're spending and even the the, the big donors and the, and the big spenders. And I, I think that kind of brings us to the issue of attendance and ticket sales also being an issue that we can talk about moving forward because Obviously, we've seen we've seen the attendance decline in college football for a, a variety of different reasons. 
Um, but now you're going to have an issue where the entire economy of the of the country is is taking a hit. Where are you going to make cuts? You're going to make cuts as a family, even as somebody who who is wealthy. You're going to make cuts to extracurricular things that includes buying tickets for for sports. Um, in the immediate, and we could talk about the immediate and the down uh, down the line. But in the immediate, you know, for this year, I, I get the feeling we're going to see a lot. We're going to see a hit to seasons ticket sales, and and how big of an issue moving forward is that going to be for schools where you have just added alcohol? Maybe you maybe you sell beer at games, and, and that's part of the expected revenue that comes in. Well, if you have lower ticket sales, you're you're going to sell less beer, you're going to sell less food, and you're going to have less tickets. And I mean, season tickets nowadays, you've got to pay like eighteen different fees before you even pay for the stinking ticket, which is whatever. We can talk about that another day. How big is that going to be for schools? And then looking down the line. What kind of impact do you think it will have of, of people not spending that money? Are they eventually going to want to again? Or are they going to reach a point where, you know, I don't have to spend that. I can still enjoy it just sitting at home and watching TV like everyone else does. Yeah, it's I, I, I have to think it's, it's it's just a huge deal. Like we've I think you and I have actually talked about this before and I've certainly written about it a lot. And it's not a secret across college football. Attendance has been declining for years and years. Schools have, have really struggled to compete with the substantially cheaper experience of being able to watch games on TV and watch three or four of them at once and drink beer for free instead of paying $12 for a beer and dealing with, with parking and uh, all the assorted expenses and potentially to watch a terrible football game because a lot, a lot, of, the, a lot of your schedule um, stakes <laughs> on, 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 a, on a given year. You might have five or six. Six home game, you know, six home games, and only three of them are really worth spending forty-five bucks for. So this um, economic shock just throws gasoline, I think, on already a, a, a robust fire in that department. And some of these schools, if you have a gigantic broadcast contract, you you really can't afford to to not quite sell as many tickets, or you can afford to make decisions clearly benefiting TV at the expense of of, of selling tickets. Um, but even, even schools, I think, within this conference, they still need to sell those tickets to help balance that athletic budget a little bit. It's going to be, it's going to be a, a pro, I think, a huge problem this year and likely a continued pro- problem over the next coming years. Like, if we have football this year, I'm expecting some really steep sales. I'm expecting concession prices to get cut across the country. I'm expecting schools to do whatever they can to salvage any kind of, of lost money to get butts in those seats and try to build up that goodwill again. Um, because you're right, folks are just not going to have as much spending money. If we're cooped up in our houses for four months and, you know, 20, 10, 12, 15, 20% of our country is out of work, the amount of people who can spend 50 bucks a ticket to go out to the ball game, it's going to drop significantly. Uh, let me ask you a question. And I have, I've, uh, it's just something that popped into my head today. And I, I've kind of wondered, obviously you have these TV deals, you know, the big 12 just signed this newer deal with ESPN to get the ESPN plus and the big 12 now um, to air games like baseball and softball and, and some of the more, the, the Olympic sports, obviously they put a couple of football games on there and we could talk about the quality at a totally different time. I'm curious for, from ESPN, I assume they're still going to pay what they're supposed to pay, but if they're not getting the product that they were supposed to get for it, do you see any sort of issues there as far as what they would pay out to big 12? teams for that contract when it's not the big 12's fault they couldn't have these games but there's obviously nothing to put out there that's a great question and it's hard to say conclusively without seeing the deal uh, i haven't seen that paperwork if on um, the off chance that you're listening and you have it my email address is matt.brown at sbnation.com i'd love to see it 
my understanding for these kinds of contracts is that there's usually um, some kind of insurance policy. It doesn't, uh, you know, the NCAA for the NCAA tournament didn't have a policy that paid out for the entire value of the contract in the event of an outbreak. Turns out most entertainment companies, most universities don't have insurance that covers pandemics. Um, they have what's, what's called like business interruption insurance or act of God insurance that provides some sort of value. So in the event that football is canceled this year, um, are the PAC, Big 12 schools going to get a, I don't know, $38 million check from ESPN? Um, no, they're not. Um, they might um, agree to extend their contract with ESPN and the, and the Big 12 for an additional year uh, and, and kind of make that back. The Big 12 could potentially take out a loan uh, again, against future earnings. They might reach some kind of negotiation. That depends on what kind of insurance policy the schools are paying for. But, it, you know, I think that risk just speaks to how just massive a deal it would be if there's not football. So much of, of, the, of the annual revenue of every single team in this conference, even Kansas, depends on football, both from that broadcast money, from that ticket money, from that sponsorship money. Um, it all rests on there being a football season. And there's going to be difficult choices that are going to have to be made no matter what. If there's not football, uh, everything's going to be on the table, I think. Yeah. Unprecedented times, though, they call for some unprecedented measures and things. So, yeah. we, um, I, I'm curious. I'm about a, of a let's say, trickle-up effect. Um, I've listened to you on some other shows, and, and, and we kind of talked about this before we started recording. But, you know, the schools that are going to be the hardest hit by this are, obviously, as you said, the, the D2 and the D3 schools. These are, these are smaller schools who may be dropping sports. And obviously, that shouldn't have too much of an impact on an, an Oklahoma or a Texas Tech or a TCU because – they, they're not scheduling those teams. Those teams aren't going to schedule. But from a trickle-up standpoint, let's say you're a, you know, we buy we buy these body bag games, these games against FCS teams, these these games against Texas has them that have a one-off against a Rice or a team, a school like that. Um, those are schools that are also going to be financially hit. Uh, let's say, and I, let's say you've got a team like a, a Southern Miss, and I'm going to pull a team out of the hat. I'm not saying this is a problem for them. I have no idea. I'm just trying to pull off a, uh, a group of five school who is going to have a major financial impact from this. Um, they're going to rely even more on the amount that they're getting paid by a big 12 school, whether that be in football or men's basketball or women's basketball for these, these, these games that they schedule. Um, what kind of impact could you see on, because, because the cost of scheduling those guys in football now is we're looking at like over a million dollars. That's why you see these one-off games. That's why you see only schools with like an Ohio State or a Texas scheduling. You're going to come play us for one time for one year, and that's what we're going to do because it costs up 1.4, 1.5 million. Do you see impacts where these group of five schools to help balance out and, and get back on budget, the price of those games is going to continue to rise and reach levels of one, of two million and 2.1 million and impact how power five schools start to schedule, especially in football moving forward. Yeah, I, I think there's a potential for that. There's, there's a couple of different forces here at play. I, I this, despite being, I, I think, a skeptic and somebody who's been kind of pessimistic about the economic future of, of several football football programs, I, I don't expect to see widespread like division one FBS program cancellations, at least not in the immediate future or immediate like reclassifications at the FBS level. So I, I don't look at, at teams who have previously scheduled a team being at risk for, for maybe losing that squad. I do think that's possible 
at the division two and three and NIA level, NAIA level, um, but potentially even at the FCS level, particularly with HBCUs. I think it is, it is entirely possible some of them reclassify to division two um, in the next couple of years, particularly in the MEAC. Um, as far as your your rationale here, I, I guess, if, if you're a team like Oklahoma State or your team in the Big 12 with your scheduling, on one hand, you're right. Like the, the, the one-off costs, I think, are, they're, they're they're already very close to $2.2 million. Like to, to get to get a, a G5 team to come to your house one game, one time, that's already $1.718, million. And that's almost certainly going to rise because that is a the single biggest one-time revenue shot that a G5 team has. They're going to make more money on that one game getting murdered by Oklahoma or murdered by Clemson than they do from ESPN. Then they then they might and, and all of their ticket you know for not all of their ticket sales but the ticket sales they might get for for, for multiple games for, for that check. So if you're if you're not a super rich program like Ohio State or Texas with scheduling, you seem to have a couple options. You can do what Oklahoma State's done in the past, and you can schedule a three game series with the G five team and do a two for one, and that will save you money. And that will give you schedule flexibility. And it may mean that you have to go to Mount Pleasant and you might lose that game. And that sucks for your fans. It sucks for your season. It sucks for recruiting. Nobody really wants to do that, but sometimes you have to. OSU's done it. Miami's done it. Um, every every year, there's a couple of like random, you know, bigger power programs that are on the road in the MAC or on the road in, in the Sun Belt. Uh, Michigan, Michigan State, I think, has done it a few times now as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the, in the AAC and, and some of the smaller ACCs, it, it happens a lot. Syracuse went to Liberty, uh, you know, just last year. So that's, that's one thing uh, you can do. You could do what Oklahoma state has done and say, let's just schedule Tulsa like eight or nine times, because we know that that's cheap. We know that when we play at Tulsa, we can still sell a bunch of tickets um, that removes some uh, instability. The disadvantage is it's boring and you're going to lose a couple of those games. Um, or you can pony up a ton of money to get that buying game. Um, in a perfect world, yeah, that we'd all just play Power 5 competition all of the time. And I think that we're already seeing athletic directors being pressured to schedule better caliber of games as best they can. Because even if you're, if you're playing Central Arkansas or Missouri State, um, people aren't going to go to those games. Even though it's a home game, you're going you're gonna to have 60% um, capacity. And maybe that, that the math on that doesn't work out anymore. But it's it's you know, OSU I think has been interesting in that they've they've kind of done basically everything you can do as far as scheduling and schools in that similar financial position are gonna have to make some challenging choices. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not the biggest fan of the way schools schedule <laughs> Baylor. Um and would love to see to, as a potential positive to see that schools are forced to schedule up because it actually ends up being less expensive to schedule more challenging teams as opposed to more easy wins to put on the schedule. And I, I understand not everybody agrees with that philosophy, but from someone, if you want me to pay you know, Oklahoma State, if you want me to pay $90 to go to a game uh, just to buy a ticket, um, I, I don't, I don't want to go to watch Central Arkansas. I don't want to go to watch yeah. South Alabama. I want, I want to, I mean, I guess I could justify it for Kansas a little bit, but even that's a little tough. But I want to make sure that this is a, a game where it might actually be somewhat competitive. You know, I, I want value for what I'm paying, and and this is a potential upside. But who, who knows? Um, again, this is so much so much speculation down the line. Um, I, I, again, I want to get to spring sports, but we're going to do that in just a second. I 
other things that have have popped in my mind i'm just gonna throw some random questions um you know it, it felt like about a month or so ago that, that shaka smart at texas was probably out the door uh, they just lost by almost 30 to an iowa state team on the road who had lost uh, tyrese halliburton for the year it was an embarrassing loss and texas goes on a bit of a run it looks like they're they're putting their way into the NCAA tournament lose a home game to osu and feel like they have to get a big 12 game uh, a tournament win to have a real shot at the NCAA tournament that kind of felt like what they needed to do to, to get shaka smart another year well that's obviously not going to happen now and I know that Texas has gobs of money, but even the University of Texas is going to feel a hit from this. Obviously, we talked about oil prices. That's you know the state of Texas. That's a, that's a big deal for them. This is going to be a season where I think we see less coaches fired. And I'm curious if you think, you know, does that benefit teams? And looking forward, is this something that carries over into football season next year where even when we think we're going to have a quiet year on the, the coaching trail, um, like I thought last season, this past season would be. I thought it would be a pretty quiet, might see five or six, you know, schools, maybe maybe 10 make coaching changes. We saw a good amount and I actually saw, you know, the whole process last all the way into February because of Michigan State and Colorado. Um, what kind of impact could this have on schools' decisions, even in football this coming season, as to whether or not to let coaches go or to retain guys longer because it would be so much more expensive to pay a guy, another guy not to coach and then bring somebody in at, at the rate that it seems to cost to hire head coaches for Power 5 schools? Well, I, I, we're definitely already seeing this as an extremely slow basketball coaching carousel. And there's a couple of comment, uh, commentators, Jeff Goodman, and then uh, Michael Smith of the Sports Business Journal have said, like, th- what you're describing is, is literally exactly what's happening. With so much financial instability, nobody wants to write a gigantic check when you don't know exactly what your revenue situation is going to look like in four months. The more conservative and safer choice is if you've got a guy that you're considering buying out, like Texas, like Minnesota, like Utah, like a, a half dozen other schools that would be attractive Power 5 basketball jobs. It's way cheaper and way more conservative to just let it ride. And I would not at all be surprised if we're entering a world now where everyone's making more challenging financial outlooks that you're going to be way less inclined to make that gigantic big buyout. Are you going to fire a coach after two years like we had with multiple Power 5 gigs last year in the 2020 football season? I don't think there's a chance. They're just not going to have the money. It seems like a positive though like i understand like we and there's a conversation to have about you know i don't think athletic directors should should be the ones involved in the contract disputes with their discussions to hire new head coaches because obviously they're doing a horrible job and the agents are you know just working magic all the way around them but doesn't that seem like a positive if schools are forced to make smarter financial decisions in in regards to to athletics because it they just seem like they make so many poor decisions is not only just like who they hire, but when they fire guys and how long it takes and the amount of these buyouts that they're giving them. Could we actually see this have a positive impact? And I, and I, I hate to say, you know, you have to turn a negative situation and try and find ways to, to bring positives out of this. Is there a potential that there's a positive impact from this, that schools are forced to start finally making smarter financial decisions when it comes to athletics and, and coaching hires? No. I don't know. I, it, it, because when, when it's time to cut costs, you're generally not going to cut the cost of the football coach in the SEC West, even though someone's going to have to finish in last place and that person's going to make over $4 million. It's, you're probably not going to cut football analysts. So what, what I would imagine if we're cutting costs 
as some of these schools, what's going to happen is they're going to drop sports. And it's probably going to be Olympic sports. And it's probably going to be as deep a cuts to women's athletics as schools can get away with without being sued into Title IX compliance. Um, the, even if it would make financial sense to go, to go cut football, or not football necessarily specifically, but cut into football, the political and donor and other, you know, um, people involved in that decision of the political pressure would be so tight uh, and so significant, it would be very difficult to do that. There's, there's been a couple of, of independent um, pushes to, to limit spending in college athletics. You, you have a couple of, of athletics administrators who are actually asking the federal government to get involved. One potential thing to watch over the next couple of months as Congress and NCAA leaders and university leaders kind of negotiate over a potential federal likeness bill, not name, image, and likeness bill, which is going to happen. Um, if there's not a antitrust exemption attached to that, that might allow schools to more strictly regulate coaching and administrator salaries. Right now, we can't have a coaching salary cap. It's unconstitutional. It's already uh, already been taken to court. The NCAA already lost. Um, but if they got an antitrust exemption, that's something that's possible. And that might keep you from uh, attaching uh, just these stupid buyouts. Uh, a lot of the time are signed and decided by totally different athletic directors. It's somebody who signs a guy to a dumb contract and then that AD gets another job and, and doesn't have to face the consequences of, of that overspending. Um, I, I'm kind of a big of the system. I'm, I'm imagining that you are too, but I would be surprised if the immediate outcome here is, you know, Alabama football spends a little bit less money. That's probably not worth it. The, 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 the one change that could happen would be schools that just have no chance and no business competing, maybe deciding they need to get out of the game. I don't want to spend time on this, but can I just say as someone who is a fan of, an, of a well-rounded athletic department um, that has some very strong women's teams, um, that would bother me. Uh, like I understand football is king. I want my football team to be good. But the idea of cutting, say, an equestrian team or cutting a women's soccer team um, so that football can continue to run as is, I just... And maybe it's partially because I have a daughter and another one on the way. It just irks me a little bit. But I realize that's what's most likely going to happen. But man, that just, to, to steal a phrase, really grinds my gears. Yeah, it's, it's not. It wouldn't be the decision I would make, too. I'm, I am mostly cynical about schools doing the right thing financially uh for some of this stuff and so that that, that would be my that would be my prediction if, the, if those cuts happen but we'll see but it it would it would be frustrating yeah i'm, I'm an ohio state graduate that my university is kind of the same way that would not be what i would want either yeah agreed um okay so let's talk let's talk spring sports because this is the thing i think that has been most interesting to me obviously the, the push has been to offer uh, initially seniors an opportunity to have another year of eligibility um but the D2, which does not have an impact on what necessarily on what D, D1 does, Division Two has basically decided that all spring sports student-athletes, and they have, they have announced this, will be granted an additional season of eligibility. That's, that's when I say all spring sport athletes, that's not just seniors. That's from freshmen up are going to be offered an extra year. Um, you would have to think that Division One is looking at a similar proposal, uh, a similar option. Um, I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm for that. I'm especially fine for seniors that want the opportunity to come back. This, not every senior is going to. Some are going to decide that they're done and want to move on and, and go start their professional careers or professional lives. Um, I'm fine giving 
you were a freshman, your, your season was taken for you. I'm fine giving them another year. It doesn't bother me at all. But the the financial side, obviously, the how do you handle roster management? Um, this is going to be at the rule that has an impact over the next five to six seasons. But, you know, we've talked about uh, financial impacts of things. You look at baseball, it's 11.7 scholarships. You know, they, they spread them all out. It doesn't sound like a big deal. But for sports that do not tend to make money for schools, um, to, to allow guys another year, which I'm for, let me say that, that sounds really expensive to basically tell an entire senior class, if they want to, they can all come back and have another year of whatever the scholarship they were getting. That sounds really expensive. How, with the current economic climate that we're looking at, uh, how do you see schools being able to financially figure out how to pay for those? Or are they going to be required to, and they could just say, you have an extra year of eligibility, but we don't have to keep you on scholarship? Um, it's a really good question. And unfortunately, the, the details are completely wide open right now. Um, th th these, are, these are exactly the of issues that, that are being debated and this is probably outside of the immediate like health and safety of student athletes this is the number one thing that athletic directors are talking about right now so what, what i can tell you just in general is that scholarship costs are usually not nearly as high as they are presented on balance sheets you have to remember that the school is not writing a check necessarily they are paying themselves and so the true cost of that scholarship um, is generally only like $45,000 if the school is maxed out in enrollment. And almost everybody is trying to grow that enrollment. So there, there are some scholarship costs. You have to pay for, you know, the guys, you know, housing and their food, which is increasingly expensive and trainers and everything. But um, the, the actual honest to God sticker price is not usually 40 grand, especially because every, almost every school calculates that cost on a full price out-of-state tuition even if they're recruiting kids who are in-state. So the, the math behind that is, is pretty complicated. It's, it's part of why the USA Today athletic budget is something you kind of have to take with a grain of salt. But the cost is still not nothing. The roster management issue is going to be very significant. You know, what do you tell to uh, a sophomore who, you know, this was supposed to be their year and they decided not to transfer uh, and kept along with the plan, and now they potentially lose an additional year of eligibility. Do you only going to grant that eligibility for your own seniors? Is it for everybody? Can you try to go pick up a couple of graduate transfers to fill in some roster spots? There's, there's a ton of unanswered questions. I can certainly imagine a world where not every school has this option, but not every school decides to do it in part because of costs. I also suspect not nearly as many athletes are going to take advantage of it um, as, as we might think. I'm, I'm, I'm glad this is probably going to happen, but those are answers that questions that right now nobody knows the answers to, including athletic directors. They're trying to figure that out. I think the biggest thing is we can we can look at worst case scenario and say a a baseball team's entire junior, because obviously with, with collegiate baseball, once you're a junior, you're then allowed to go into the draft. Let's say your entire senior class and, and junior class decide to take advantage of this and come back. You got a very interesting situation as far as roster management. But that doesn't seem Likely, most of these guys, if they wanted to go in the draft, even though they lost the season, are assuming we have an MLB draft, because I've seen some of the rumors about that potentially happening, which could be crazy and throw an entirely different wrench into this whole system of whether or not guys want to leave or not. And I don't even want to try and deal with that hornet's nest. Um, I don't think it will be as bad as we think, um, but I, I do think it's something that's 
I'm I think of all of this that I'm the most interested in following is how they decide to handle this. And I will I will be honest, I am I am a cynic as you, and it, I I'm shocked that the NCAA is essentially agreeing to do what feels like the right thing. Um, but until I know what their full plan is, I'm only going to give them so much credit for that. Yeah, I think I guess the last note I would say here is for these kind of issues, we got to remember that when we complain or talk about the NCAA, we're talking about school about about membership. When you complain about something NCAA doesn't allow, usually it's because member institutions don't want that. Here, I think there's pretty broad, broad agreement among athletic directors and among university presidents that we should do right by these athletes, which I, I think is a positive thing. It's not mm -hmm. Mark Emmert's decision. It's not somebody in Indianapolis's decision. It's the people who lead these individual institutions. Mm -hmm. My guess is that the final solution will probably be a little bit less expansive than maybe um, we thought it was going to be a couple of weeks ago. Um, but there, there will be something. Um, I couldn't begin to tell you exactly what that looks like right now, right now, just because I don't think anybody knows. So just to wrap this up, I, I'm curious from your state, let's just big 12. And I don't know that the big 12 is in any better or worse position because of all this than, as a conference than the PAC 12 is and the SEC and the big 10, and the ACC outside of just, you know, the PAC 12 doesn't bring in a lot of, of money from a TV standpoint. What do you think potentially will be the biggest impact of all of this on from an athletic standpoint let's say the big 12 schools man it's 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 tough to say for certain because we don't know when football's coming back we don't know the exact depth of how bad this recession is going to be i mean i, I saw the st louis ed was predicting that unemployment could get as high as 30 percent, which is that'd be more than it was in the freaking great depression and if, if, if that's what we're looking at, even if it's temporary, even if it's just for a couple of months before it drops back to, to single digits, that's just going to nuke demand everywhere. And every single school in the Big 12 is going to be impacted by that, even Texas, even the, even the richest schools in the country. Um, and if, 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 if perhaps the biggest single thing that we're going to see is, you know, the rubber band of expanding college uh, athletic costs might finally snap and, and things are going to be pulled back a little bit just because we simply, we being consumers don't have the money to support that anymore. Um, the, the, the idea of, of private jet travel and scheduling non-conference games all over the country because we can and 40 person staffs and the, the most opulent recruiting visits. Uh, these are all things that might decline um, if we're running out of money. Um, I'll be honest, it wouldn't be the worst thing. Uh, I think every once in a while a little, a little cutback is good for everybody. Um, as far as spending like that, I don't try to say that anything about this and people losing jobs of any sort is a good thing. Don't Let's not twist what I'm trying to say. Um, Matt, you have been fantastic. This has been awesome. I feel uh, smarter because of all of this. Uh, do me a favor. Um, I already read your extra points um, on a pretty regular basis. Occasionally, you'll do something on like some random FCS school. And I'm like, ah, I've got to go to work. Um, but for everybody who's not subscribed, and, and guys, just do it. Like, I cannot say this enough. Just subscribe. But for everybody who wants to check that out and all the rest of the work that you do covering college athletics, where can they do so? Sure. I, I, I really appreciate the kind words. I'm, I'm trying to build something that I think people will want to read um, and, and help understand the forces behind the sport a little bit better. It's called Extra Points, publishes 
usually at least twice a week during the this pandemic. I can't necessarily guarantee that schedule, but it's been twice a week for about a year. Uh, you can find it at mattbrown.substack.com, or you can find it on my Twitter account at Matt, at Matt Brown EP. Um, I think you'll like it. No, it, it is wonderful. Are you trying to tell me that it's hard to write sports emails while you have kids running around the house? I don't know. It doesn't sound, it doesn't it sound accurate at all. a little bit harder to do the research required <laughs> when you're also dadding full-time with two kids and also doing a full-time job and also grappling with the existential dread of a global pandemic. <laughs> we might be able to get through it, but I want, I want to, I want to, I want to give the, low that, lower the expectations and hopefully sail right over. That's Absolutely. Uh, Matt, I know you are uh, you are someone who is practicing social distancing and self quarantining. I keep up the great work. I keep putting out what you can. Um, pleasure to have you on, and we'll do this again. Okay, thank you very much. Take care, y'all. <laughs>